Can I tell you a funny story? Go for it, yeah. I was, um, when Born to Guaito had just come out, I was doing interviews and then I went on Afternoon Express <laughs> and um, and Judy D is asking me about Guaito. Yeah. And then she's like, um, yeah, I Tamara remember Day. Tamara Day was the <laughs> queen of Guaito. <laughs> Thank you for being so patient with us. As now uh, undeserved hype. Yeah, as Dwayne Michael Carter would say, "Sorry for the wait." We're here, and um, we're so excited to get this show back on the road again. How have you been? I'm Gucci. I've um, missed this. 2020, we're gonna do better. There we go. We're gonna be active people with podcasts. <laughs> um, but I've been good. How have you been? I've been great. I've been living. I am also focused on making sure we do better with this. So let's begin. Let's get into it. All right. So July 16, 2019, South Africa lost one of the most popular musicians that come from this country, Johnny Clegg. And uh, his passing allowed for us to do a reflection on this country's past, its legacy, and the promise of a better future for those who live in it, especially for those who come from an era after apartheid. Um, because his music talked a lot about the future for the, the Rainbow Nation, even though it wasn't called the Rainbow Nation at the time. But um, a lot of us have a different idea of what Johnny Clegg's music represents and it was a lot of different opinions on his passing I saw a lot of things that surprised me someone was like legit fuck you Johnny Clegg the dog <laughs> he was dead I was like yo and I was like damn and um, we got to thinking as he brought up this brilliant podcast episode idea about looking at the music of the rainbow the music that came from the apartheid time and that involved a lot of white musicians being heavily influenced by black music. And uh, Johnny Clegg's passing was one of the ideas that triggered this episode and we got to thinking about some of the other, mus- other musicians, Mango Groove, PJ Powers, and uh, in the more recent times, Freshly Ground. That one album, Beatenberg. That one album from Beatenberg and um, basically just white South Africans dipping and dabbing a little bit in the I don't want to say ah. (laughs) I was going to go back to our famous episode one and the most used word in that episode is legitimately yeah but um yeah yeah, so we're just going to be discussing that and my first question would be to look at what does cultural appropriation mean in South Africa? Yeah, yeah. Because um, also the interesting thing, I think, to get into it, um, the reason I wasn't really leaning towards calling this episode a cultural appropriation episode mm-hmm. is because I think white and black music in South Africa does something very different. Mm-hmm. So um, it wasn't, like, you know, it, it comes, that music that we're calling the music of the rainbow doesn't exist in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. It exists in a space where people are going, oh, the solution, the great solution to apartheid and its legacy, mm-hmm. the remedy is, you know, to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Mm-hmm. So it's about now, how, did, how does the presence and the participation of white musicians and black music perpetuate colorblind 
rainbow ideologies, non-racialism. Non-racialism. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, they are, I think if we're going to jump into it, the aunt word is like, <laughs> Probably in terms of cultural appropriation, that's your cleanest. Mm-hmm. Um, also the dirtiest. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, but cleanest in that it's so simple, it's yep. easy to call cultural appropriation because it's like cultural appropriation inception. They're like appropriating hip hop, mm-hmm. and then they like appropriating colored mm-hmm. male aesthetics. So mm-hmm. it's very in your face. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose Johnny Clegg as well is super in your face. But then there's figures like PJ Powers. Mango groove. It, it's not quite because what they're making isn't actually nigger music. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, some would disagree, but definitely, it's not the same as Johnny Clegg putting on, you know, Zulu regalia and uh, singing in Isizulu. Yeah, it's definitely not the same. Um, but um, the the kwela, if you're talking about mango groove, the kwela music. And the penny whistle being yeah, such a prominent... Yeah. I mean, you can't separate Manga Groove from that. And the penny whistle, actually, for me, it symbolizes a lot um, of what was going on. Because I remember when I learned about the penny whistle as an instrument, I think the idea was that it used to be the the, the instrument, the whistle that was used to warn the police to warn the people at the Shibis right. that the police was, yeah. was on their way yeah. I'm gonna you know the Kuala music comes from the, the warning of, mm. and then you have this white you know predominantly white band I should say or the fo- founding members of the band being white using an instrument like that doing pop music and it's you know it's it's a sanitized the the idea of what the koila music and the penny whistle instrument represents in my, in my opinion yeah. but I mean not everything is also meant to be so you know gloomy and um, negative. I guess there's a need for pop music and a need to, you know, have fun, which is why we could do the same thing with Quilla and like dance, knowing that the police was on our backs. I'm talking about the previous generation, no, not myself. Not we. Yeah, not me. I, I, yeah. It's um, there's you know like you're speaking of the penny whistle, which mm-hmm. is quite prevalent in mango groove music. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking of their song um, "Special Star." I remember we were at Mercury this one time. It was you, me, and um, and our friend Bali. Oh, yeah. And "Special Star" by Mango Groove came on, and we looked at each other and we were like, <laughs> "This is the closest thing we're gonna get to nigger music in this place." But it's like, <laughs> yeah. It's mango groove. Yeah. It's not, and it's it's for me like listening to that music now. It sounds, especially because Johnny Clegg was an anthropologist. Mm-hmm. It sounds like travel, mm-hmm. travel writing in mm-hmm. music form, because mm-hmm. it's not just, it's not just you know like penny whistle music. There's that romantic. Yep. I could put this on the Lion King. Yep. There's a Zulu on my step. Yep. Oh no, that's not a Zulu. That's yep. Johnny Clegg. <laughs> Um. <laughs> oh my god yeah it's not the best example of South African music yeah um, it shouldn't be the best example of South African music so for the Mercury to do that is is very telling I mean I told you about the story about the church that I was at the white church that I was at we had a, a team night and um, the theme was African music mm. and the only album that they were playing was the Biedenberg album with you know Raphael and Pluto and um, you know, all those, all the songs. I just, and it just, you know, that's where the, the thought of cultural appropriation sticks out so vividly to With me. With Beethoven? Uh, no, when white people are like, here's oh. some African music, oh. a white person. Yeah. Um, that's clearly it because, mm. you know, it, it kind of like, you invisibilize. But you know the thing about black that Black musicians though, who do that better. Yeah, for me, it's what musicians are doing that better. No one's mm. making the music that, these white people are making, you know, um, there's a very, mm. it's, it's, I feel like it's white African music. And like its own genre? It's like whites attempting to be African. That's what I mean. I get you. Um, like if you think about one of Johnny Clegg's biggest songs, MB, mm-hmm. or that, like the whole, that's not quite how Mascandi sounds. Yep. And Johnny Clegg didn't just make Mascandi, he made Mascandi with a rock. Yeah. And yeah. would later like go back to making rock music. Yeah. So for me, it this is why like I'm struggling with the cultural appropriation thing because I think the real thing that's being reflected here is like Rainbow Nation ideology mm-hmm. and sort of what I would like for us to get into is how do these artists represent this ideology? What are the limitations mm-hmm. 
for those kinds of performances and what is the right way for a white artist to appreciate black, black art and mm. to sort of adopt it because it's yeah. I, I get you I, I, I'm maybe just to go back I meant like if you're gonna say you got an African night and you play Beatenberg I'm judging yeah um, quite so and I know Mercury they don't have to really say it but it's like I know how it'd be you know mm. you gotta put a playlist together and I need that African part I need, and it's gonna be if it's not Mango Group it's gonna be R.I.P. Mendoza and Calagat. Bro, I you really know? feel like all these bands are if Toto came to Africa. <laughs> <laughs> My God. If he had actually yeah. visited Africa, this would be the stuff. Toto. But, um, we got to do a Toto episode. I, I think we should do next. Mm. Okay, um, but you were speaking about the, you know, what, what they... I, I like that, the observation of... It's not really African music. It's yeah. not. It's like it's its own special blend of that, um, and what it means. I think the one thing that interests me in terms of the cultural appropriation question is um, knowing that we're talking about the context of the countries in you know state of an emergency. If we're looking at the era of Johnny Clegg and P J Powell's and Mango Groove, where black and white people are not even allowed to be sitting together, yeah, uh, in public or perform t- performing together is just not even allowed. Um, so. One thing that Johnny Clegg used to call himself was a cultural activist, and I and I and I kind of looked at the the two sides of the coins of that. Um, yeah, um, what you know would be easily defined as cultural appropriation. Yeah, and what we can think of. I'm not saying that we have to as cultural activism, knowing that you know apartheid was a real thing that was yeah. happening at the time that obviously limited and restricted musicians from doing what they could do um, freely knowing that Johnny Clegg had a lot of censorship battles. Yeah. At uh, one point, the apartheid police, the security branch had a file on him. Um, you know, his his life wasn't necessarily easy because he was white in terms of, yeah. you know, what he was doing. And I, I I think for me, that's 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 where it becomes a little bit difficult for me to be like, fuck you, Johnny Clegg, you know. I, I, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't I, I'm not saying he's like an artist that I hold yeah. daily to my heart, but um, I never looked at him as something as sinister as oof, the Unfood, if you're going, you know, proper example. But you right know now. what, for me, it's, because um, I think the cultural appropriation argument as we know it is an argument that's made in the US. And mm-hmm. I think that's a different context because I Ooh. think... In South Africa, like as blacks, there's actual colonialism, mm-hmm. and sort of what's to be remembered now that it's not just like a bunch of white artists trying to assimilate into black culture. There's a whole romanticism of first Africa as a dark continent, <laughs> then you know Africa as this safari, this yep. exotic safari. Yeah. So when the music gets made, it's for me. I, I think there are genuine limitations to. And I mean, the reason we can have the cultural appropriation argument with people like, um, what's their face, De Antwoord, is because they do a very, let's do this, what is cultural appropriation? Um, my definition, just from what I've learned, is that it would be when you use another culture that does not belong to you for your own personal gains without any sense of acknowledgement or you know reverence for the culture um just before i cap off my answer i remember the first time i heard a cultural appropriation it was through twitter and you know woke twitter was thriving at this time Mm. i think it was like 2015 and all these buzzwords that many people were not introduced to um if maybe they weren't on tumblr but learned it through twitter were getting introduced to and i remember it more specifically in the example of when um, white Maskandi artist Kretasi was performing in the summers like 2015 or something and people on black Twitter were like who is this guy that's wearing you know you know Zulu traditional attire yeah. and he's singing Maskandi I mean regardless of the fact that he could speak it fluently and sing it fluently and play the guitar really well I think it was just weird to watch this guy do this cosplay you know and I remember someone going 
Does that mean that we also get we have to get angry at Johnny Clegg, you know, because he was he wasn't he wasn't the current artist at the time. Yeah. He was our parents' generation. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, damn. I mean, my mom had Johnny Clegg DVDs yeah. in her. I think my thing with like I would say okay the differentiation between mm-hmm. Adasi and mm-hmm. Johnny Clegg is mm-hmm. that Johnny Clegg did do songs like Asim Bonanga mm-hmm. Johnny Clegg had within his confines forms of rebellion mm-hmm. so there is you know something else happening there mm-hmm. but then I think of like other white artists who actually did the work of condemning um the apartheid regime in ways that didn't make it you know that didn't make it this african what did you say in the previous episode going native is that Go, yeah, yeah it feels and also like johnny clegg was was an anthropologist yeah, for an me anthropology. it's like 50 layers of messed up and yeah. see out of said effed up last year it's um i've sold like twice <laughs> <laughs> it's 50 levels of 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 messed up yeah. and it's so when you have like um people like johannes um karkoro and riga from for mir the blues band Yeah. Well done. I haven't spoken Afrikaans in a yeah. minute. Yeah. But when you have bands like that and you have Kuskom Bass and these are artists who would actively like sing against apartheid but it wasn't no gimmick. It wasn't it almost feels like gimmick. I mean, Johnny Clegg is dead so I don't know how much like this is worth mm-hmm. this conversation is worth having because I almost like I was going to go in but <laughs> the nigga <next day. laughs> Yeah. Which is why I was so shocked that someone yeah. would be like yo fuck you like I mean he wasn't even that prominent in our age at least because there's someone as young as I am and but I'm like what I think the other thing that sorry to interrupt you just going to this that we have to also understand is that the generational difference yeah. comes into play here yeah where our parents and I'm not saying all of them I'm pretty sure a lot of them also felt like what Johnny Clegg was doing was over the top and unnecessary um but for the most part I mean he was loved you know um and he but was there's always like appreciated yeah, go for there's it. always like that white person who does something that's nigger that gets you know like now he was called Le Zulu Blanc there's yeah. always you know if you can speak Kosa like um Oasis Zulu like rappers like Costa Costa um <laughs> Costa Stitch you know like always those oh, gimmicks PJ Powers being called PJ Powers you know yeah. anytime a white person can speak English or you know attempt barely speak it you know i mean not english vernac vernac mm. or attempt you know it's really hard in here <laughs> <laughs> um the yeah there's like no it's the wine um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there's just a praise that's and for me it's also if we're going to because i think for me mm. the biggest okay. problem i would have with things like rainbow nation ideology is you know holding hands is not going to change anything there has to be a redistribution of resources mm-hmm. that is undoing racist legacies mm-hmm. and so when i think of these artists i think materially when white artists dab- dabble mm-hmm. or whatever into black art and create something else what are the gains mm-hmm. and when you think of sort of johnny clegg's shoot to interna- international success you think of freshly ground having the 2010 world cup mm-hmm. song mm-hmm. um although they had a black singer but that's like for me that's the epitome of like mm-hmm. post apartheid rainbow colorful yeah, clothing definitely um kind of music so it's what are the material or social effects of this thing well i think to go back then um to look at it from almost like a trajectory where we could start from the start so we're talking about nation building and rainbow nation yeah. so the context is apartheid where as we said musicians playing together was you know obscene yeah um, um interestingly enough um what i've just you know picked up by reading the different pieces i did about johnny clegg is that it wasn't so much that he was doing um you know music with black people or black music but another thing that also triggered it was the fact that he was mixing languages yeah and you know the idea of apartheid was separate cultures separate identities yeah. separate lives even you know um the different ethnicities within black people as well you yeah. know so what i've just you know learned was that it wasn't even so much that his music had to be like you know down with apartheid over, overtly political it was just the mere fact that he was taking isuzulu and he was taking english and putting it together that stopped it from even being played on radio it's like you you're breaking you know the norm here and i just thought that was quite interesting because 
it didn't take so much for these artists yeah. basically to do what would be considered you know um rebellious mm. uh, just to, to finish on the on the cultural activism thing i think what i can appreciate about what you said about those afrikaans musicians who didn't you know have to really put on the costume and sing in isuzulu or whatever is that you know they did that but what i can also appreciate about you know johnny clegg is that I, we've had, had this discussion he had a platform and he was being safe you know it, 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 he, he was being safe he was being safe I, i if i think of it and you're doing this knowing that you're essentially breaking the law i i wouldn't really consider it like him playing it safe i think what made it obviously big was the fact that humanism trumped the whole you know apartheid regime and but people that's the thing, are all over the world there's nothing like radical about it i didn't say it was radical but it okay. wasn't safe i think that's it's there i mean like maybe we're just thinking of it in, in polarized ways yeah. but i definitely don't call it radical i don't think yeah. of him as like you know like you do or, or anything like that but definitely something something that has to be acknowledged was that it was at a cost mm. and i think i can appreciate what he was doing there. Yeah. Manga Groove wasn't necessarily singing about, yeah. you know, what he was singing about. You you spoke about Asimbonanga as one example. He had other songs about migrant labor. I mean, working. even Impi, as much as I hate the song, it's about um, 100%. the war between the Brits and... 100%. And Colonial history. Yeah. yeah. And it's, for me then, it's neither, like, I want to fast forward to Beatenberg because I don't know how in my mind it made sense to link Beatenberg to PJ Powers and Johnny Clegg, but I swear it made perfect sense <laughs> that what are the Prince of the Hanging Gardens? Um, and it was sort of hearing beauty like a like a titan bow. I don't know if you've heard the song, yeah. but it's just, it's so Johnny Clegg and it's yeah. borrowing from those Maskandis, that happy yeah. Rainbow Nation yeah. music. And... Um, thinking about Beatenberg because Beatenberg when they their first album um, called Farm Photos mm-hmm. it didn't have any African influences so to speak it was like listening to the all American rejects or yeah. something yeah. and then they come with their album which you think of as their debut album but wasn't really but it's the album that put them to On the and the song that sort of like shoots them and leads them to the summers is a song with DJ Clark Um, just on that was there a version without DJ Clark mm, I, I, why do I feel like of Pluto yeah and then the, Maybe the, they, the, the, the history was that they had a version without him and then they met DJ Clark and then the version with him was the one that um, I don't know okay but I mean that's not really a bigger point but I mean it could be if it is true that the you know influence of DJ Clark coming in yeah. into a song that already existed Okay, um, I don't know about that, but yeah, like I just mean, I, I found like I heard something like that when I, I listened to them. Speak. I think I might have heard as well, but I don't want to say yeah. It yeah, because I'm not yeah. sure. But yeah, like interesting. So having them be on a track with Pluto, and suddenly they've shot up to you know mainstream mm. culture, and it's like playing mm. everywhere, you know. Mm-hmm. And then they so it was beauty like a beauty like a titan bow. Um, the Pluto song and a Raphael. bunch of others, Raphael. Mm-hmm. So they had these songs that were like. And then the next album, there's no traces of the nigger <laughs> shit. And it's just, and there's no, because South Africa doesn't have an amazing music journalism scene, no one's going, tell me about your your music influences so that mm. we don't know what's happening there. At mm. least with artists like Johnny Clegg and all those people, it's like, okay, it's history, so. you might not approve of it, but this is a moment where yeah. everybody's happy, the black and white people can hold hands uh-huh. or whatever. Like there's a place of understanding, but with bands like Beatenberg, and it's also like, why does it matter? Because um, as it stands right now, Johnny Clegg, dead, freshly ground, disbanded, um, Mango Groove, where? Mm. So, like, what would Beatenberg's? Well, I think the other distinction is that that we have to make is the pre-democracy and post-democracy. Mm-hmm. So obviously, Johnny Clegg did his stuff during the you know state state of emergency. Um, I think the first album with Juluka came out in 1979. So the Soweto uprising was still hot. The band was formed in 1976. Asimbo Naga came out in 86 or 87. Mm-hmm. 
um, you know, it's it's really hot in South Africa at the time in terms of racial divide, yeah. violence, you know. And uh, Mango Groove was um, late late eighties, eighty four, yeah, um, where it was not, it still wasn't legal for, yeah, um, you know black and, and white musicians to be playing in public spaces together. There's stories about how the bassist John Naden um, would be arrested for driving back home his own bandmate, you know? But there's something so sinister for me. It's like, okay, I can sort of get the, the risk that it has, but there's something so sinister about the fact that we must sit and talk about the fact that white people were able to form bands with black people or uh. or, you know, like sort of now we must imagine that there's an element of radical because they did. I guess that's part of the generational difference that I, I keep going back to. I'm but not isn't saying... isn't that the part then that makes it so normal for white artists today to dabble into black culture? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's, the, that's the thing I was going to, the post-democracy bands. So I'm talking about, you know, the fact that there's no regime really to to separate black white musicians so we're looking at freshly ground and um they coming in at like what 2002 2003 right and the, i guess the the country's the high is still there if if, if i'm speaking from a revisionist yeah. point of view um you know i guess it's, it's it's it doesn't really break off until zuma steps into the picture um and we have this band, and I remember the the, the Doobie Doo music video right. getting played so many times. Yeah. But even when I watched that video, you can still feel like there was a message being driven down yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she always had like white love interest. Maybe <laughs> videos. You know, I mean that that's the clear example of of that. You know, hey, you know, we're we're getting along. Yeah. You know, and we're having fun with it. Whereas I guess the the previous artists were like. We're doing this and, you know, we could get the show stopped in yeah. any moment, but we love the music that we do, so we're going to keep going. Yeah. Um, so I think the, the, the difference in um, political landscapes plays a fact in how I look at these musicians. I'm not saying that I, I really look up to Mango Groove. No, I get what and, you're saying. And, and what they do. I, I didn't, actually, I, to be honest, I don't even listen to the musicians that we're speaking about right now, even the current ones. I heard Raphael. Okay, I stuff on, I know you love them. I play those with the bands that I've yeah. been because they cover because they were like you know top forty music, but they don't um, do anything for me necessarily. But it's I, it's. I think for me, like the funniest thing uh, when you think of you know post apartheid, post race. Mm. Interestingly enough, there's to sort of bring two things that probably shouldn't be put together, freshly ground and the artwork. But um, the guy, Ninja, has a song. I can't remember its name. I'll find it after this episode. Mm -hmm. We'll play it. Um, but in the song, he like he starts out in this introduction and he's like, he's basically Tosa Afrikaans. He's like black, white, all fucked into one person. And he, like, he swears he's doing this representation of... Um, <laughs> Of, of the average South which is 50 shades of twisted because he's not Afrikaans and he's not poor so even what he's trying to do with saying he's representing working class African culture this man is doesn't quite cut it inception and then you have like oh a band like freshly ground I think for me how they epitomize particularly the rainbow it's like I, I cannot get over 2010, because I think like 1994, those times, people stopped being black for a minute, you know, or it was exciting to be black and white holding hands. Yeah. And then people slowly started getting disillusioned. Mm -hmm. And then 2010 comes, and no one's black, no one's white, we're all South African, because waka waka, colorful clothing, yeah. Philip is here, mm -hmm. you know. Even the Colombians are African. You know, like... Shakira's out here. Right, Shakira. <laughs> but yeah, um... Sort of for me, that's sort of how in your face, freshly ground. Um, and I guess what makes freshly ground different from Mango Group, Janet Legos, it's that it's an actual post apartheid band, mm -hmm. but you can place that band against the backdrop of Mango Group, and it's yeah. not a new thing. They, they were, they were, there were similarities, like comparisons made, I, I believe, when Freshly Ground came out to Mango Group, mm. that big, you know, eight piece band with. 
you know, multi- multiculturalism going on, that, that integration allowed people to be like, oh, this reminds us of Mango Groove. I didn't even think they had someone playing the penny whistle in the band, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Um, and I guess, I think the question that, that sticks to my mind is that, are we then able to not judge them as strictly, I mean, because we're talking about cultural appropriation and you've made the point about it not being really a South African um, you know, thought as much as it is in America. Are we then able to judge them less? Be- I'm talking about the Johnny Cleggs and the PJ Powers and the Mango Grooves. They were participating in what could get considered as what I go back to, cultural activism and the idea of nation building because what they are doing is more than just music at the at the yeah, time you know yeah. it's it really is a it really is a sight to behold to see black and white musicians playing in south africa in the 80s and for me i look at it as like okay well this is cool i'm not necessarily a big fan of the music but i can appreciate what it represents in terms of the moment knowing that we still had Nelson Mandela in prison and then he comes out and there's so much music for him to come out to from these bands. Um, is this something that we should judge them less for and not, not look at them as cultural appropriators? I'm not saying that we should. I'm just I'm tossing that question out there. For me, it feels like, like I said, I can appreciate illegal. Um, but it's, it's, it's sort of like an artist's white liberalism. Mm-hmm. For me, it's, you know, Especially you look at people like Johnny Clegg, you know, Johnny Clegg during, you know, apartheid times or like before that he was studying African cultures Mm -hmm. within a discipline that is known to be one of the agents of colonialism, Mm -hmm. anthropology, Mm -hmm. which is very much about studying the other. Mm -hmm. So for me, as much as you can say, oh, because this is where it has to get colorblind, like you can't make the breaking racial barriers. Yeah conversation without making it colorblind for sure um and if you if you did not if you refuse to make it colorblind then you have to face the reality that these are people who form part of a tradition of people who come to africa discover something exotic and exciting and essentially other you know cultures that they don't understand and you know either go native and embrace this thing that's so different from what they've known will be entirely repelled, but it's just about, you know, one is more harmful than the other, but ultimately it's, what does it do? Which, you know, maybe my homework for today is going to be going home and, well, I'm home, but it's going to be going to the internet and finding testimonies of radical right wings who were changed by Johnny Clegg's music. Because for me, when I hear people like Johnny Clegg, as much as they still cater to white audiences, it still feels like singing down a little bit. For sure. Um, yeah. You know, there's nothing. It's not, and this is why I go to people like Johannes Karkoro who would like actively make songs that were banned, but you know, songs naming Big Bota, yeah. songs naming P.W. Bota, you know, um, Koskum Bass naming the Sharpeville <coughs> Massacre, Black yeah. September. And for me, it's just, I'm not convinced it's, well, I mean, sure, you went to jail, bruh, and you know, I've never been to jail, so cool, I can recognize that, but I'm just not convinced it's... Well, I mean, to be a little bit more fair to Johnny Clegg, he was also um, part of the United Democratic Front, as well as the conscription campaign, as well as one of the founders of the South African Music Association, which helped to bring a cultural boycott to South Africa. Mm. So it wasn't just music that he was involved in. Yeah. It was a little bit more behind the scenes as well. Um to the I point about the anthropologist, that. though, which is very, very true. Um, I think his um, his case is also a little bit unique. I've always thought of it as a little bit... And he also grew up around Zulu people. I was about yeah. to say, his, his he came from a Zimbabwean mom. Yeah. And they went to Zambia for a little bit with his stepfather, who was a South African. And then he lived in South Africa, where his stepfather was a journalist who he would report on crime. UK. Yeah. His stepfather was a crime reporter. So obviously he would go into the townships and the hostels and the compounds where there's crime happening and he would bring, you know, little Johnny with him and it becomes that... Johnny of the jungle. (laughs) Yeah. It becomes that exposure, I guess. It's like, okay, that's where the seed of anthropologist work kind of seeps in, I understand. But it's not so much of like, 
I'm gonna study them because I grew up in the yeah. middle class environment. Mm. I grew up in Rondebosch, mm. and I just want to know what you know what black people like do in their spare time. Exactly. Um, I'd give them that, but I, I I I'm not really trying to you know the white savior thing is 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 dead. You know, like we. We've gone against that in the movies. We should also go against that in the music as in well. In the music, yeah. So I get I hundred percent what 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 you're saying. I guess my question was in terms of the cultural appropriation. They're doing music that has you know Maskandi influence, and we talked about Mango Blues, Kola influence, um, PJ Powers and the Hotline band had what. You know, I don't even know what Afropop is anymore, but they called bro, it Afropop. Bro. And and they and they were like, you know, um, she helped. Uh, push the you know the afropop genre forward can and I tell you and in my mind i'm just like okay well damn can i tell you a funny story go for it yeah i was um when born to guaito had just come out i was doing interviews and then i went on afternoon express and <laughs> um and jenny d is asking me about guaito yeah. and then she's like um yeah i tamara remember day. tamara day was the queen of guaito <laughs> 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 That's just sitting there like sure. No, that's, no, yeah. That's, no, Tamara that's, Day. That's that's the that's the Oh my god, I'm swearing so much on this episode. That's the fucked up thing. Um, you know, I don't think there's a Muscandi artist who has the same international um recognition that Johnny Clegg does. Bingo. Um and like this you know, turn our attention away from from South Africa in the eighties a bit and go back to the music because this is a music podcast. I think then what just to be able to move the conversation forward then is that fine we've dealt with the past but the current artist and you know Biedenberg is an example then Freshly Ground and Jack Parrow um, and Biggie Music and um, who's these guys the the yeah, Unfoot what Costa. yeah what 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 they're doing in a time that's seemingly politically free you know there's no it's not like necessarily a thing for you know white artists to do black music like we've had that you know so what do what what does what they do constitute cultural appropriation um my answer is yes but i'd I like yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't. Um, see for me um when we speak about, like, I want to speak about the artwork in detail. They're like the lowest hanging fruit, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, do but, like I said, looking at the place that they try to occupy as presenting themselves as being for the working class Afrikaner, <laughs> um, but then they're also like appropriating colored mannerisms, and you have Ninja calling himself a vet kafir. Like it's it's just like fifty shades of yes. nonsense going on, right? Um, and so they do this thing that they are they appropriating this culture, they taking this hip hop culture on as theirs, and it's sort of the audacity that they granted when you think of um, Fatty Boom Boom, the song where Uyolandi like literally comes out in blackface, she's wearing a yellow dress, she's got like beach blonde hair, platinum hair. And then she's painted black, like, full down. And she feels entitled to doing that because she thinks the unvoid, they imagine themselves as representing this post-race. And that's why, like, the cultural appropriation argument happens, but it doesn't quite stick with white artists because they're like, you know, I am liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, I am post-race. I do not see race. I don't center race like that. My participation in this black art form mm. is me proving that I don't quite see race like that mm-hmm. when it's actually a denialism. Mm-hmm. And it's the unfortunate is just the most in your face. You are this cross and you are this insulting, essentially. Um, but then it's now when you take it down to people like... Um, Freshly ground. No, 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 no. Now in the same hip hop space, Costa, Costa Stitch. Yeah. Um, Jay Molly as well. Jay Molly, but Costa Stitch being, you know, 
the white artist who even raps in her neck mm-hmm. and um it's hilarious for me that his like hit song is called galagata because white people love galagata yeah. by mendoza so it's, it's you know it's interesting that this song you know has this life journey yeah um but then when you look at people like costa stitch day he's not doing anything that is outright disrespectful and you know we're so post-race we're going to pretend that we can do things that black people can do or we can don blackface yeah know? yeah um that's that's the part that gets me though um because for me it was still constitute you know cultural appropriation yeah, no definitely um, i think also the fact that he's got dreads is, is a little annoying yeah you know white people with dreads is another type of conversation that has to be had like jay molly mostly um because him as well like he just makes music the same music that nasty c makes and um aries makes it's not so much like a the unfort you know or jack parrow but these are still white people you know doing white kids you know doing um black music and they're getting praise mostly because they're white i mean what i've yeah. seen from that you know reaction to cost of stitch is the those fact the that people can ha- who, who can keep the land oh yeah yeah that those those, those type of jokes you know it's like oh my god um because if it was a, a black person with a song called Nkala Gat, i don't think ricky rick and aka would jump to make a remix of that song or like if it was a normal black kid you know um but now it's this white guy who can speak vernacular loosely at that you know um and it, it and that's kind of what the definition you ask about what does you know cultural appropriation mean that would that's what it would be you know almost to get praise for nothing as well um for the bare minimum at least um but that also has to make us look at bands like Beanberg as well you know and and what the unfood do is is an extreme end of the spectrum. Yeah. But Beatenberg are just normal regular yeah. southern suburb guys, you know. But they they have that um Muscanti feel and um uh that one album that one album on I didn't even remember it because it didn't really like bang like that to me. <laughs> um but uh I'm thankful we have our friend Matthew here engineering this episode because he just reminded us of Paul Simon's Graceland and um I hope I'm not putting you under the bus here but he just let us know that he knows that you know Beatenberg was also influenced by that yeah. album and it makes so much sense you know um it's like a, in a weird way it's a continuation yeah. on that legacy and i i think that's actually like when you think about it that's what's at the core of what's wrong with how white artists borrow from mm-hmm. black art mm-hmm. because our Beatenberg can imagine themselves as influenced i don't know if wholly or what by Paul Simon and mm-hmm. it's like hey man this is nigger music yeah, you know it's, it's like, not Paul okay, Simon okay you're not music. even going to reference Ray Perry yeah. and Buddy Tukumalo and Ladies with Black Mambazo who worked on that Graceland album you're going to be like no Paul Simon yeah. Graceland yeah it's it's the it's it's the real that's where cultural appropriation sticks itself out more visibly to me i remember um i went to the Raptor room mm. like two years ago and as you know Beatenberg. And then um like the day before that a friend of mine who works at Hectic 99 had mm. sent in a question going yo um she was interviewing Beatenberg mm-hmm. and I'd said it sounds like you guys listen to a bit of quiet do. So yeah, I sent like the question to my friend and the question had been um what are your quiet do Gandhi influences and um I didn't watch the interview. But I remember a friend of mine was live messaging me and she was going mangoes, trees, Congo. <laughs> it's just like typical Sounds like a Tintin cartoon like, strip. It sounds like safari, yeah. lions, Africa village. Yeah. yeah. Um but anyways, so that happens and then I meet Matthew Brink who's the drummer of Beatenberg and Robin, sorry, Matthew's the sing- the singer. Mm-hmm. Um so I meet Robin and i'm like yo so I, you know i tell him what had happened mm. and then he goes you know we don't want a name drop and i'm like <laughs> robin what does name dropping mean just one <laughs> <laughs> and he's like no you know we don't want to be like oh my hotel queens and be obnoxious about it oh and i remember saying God. to him bro like uh, i might not know you guys i might not know what goes through your mind but i know when chasy blakemore comes on and you say i don't want to 
I know Maskandi when I hear it, mm. you know. Mm. When Beauty Like a Titan Bow comes on, I know Bubblegum when I hear it. Mm-hmm. You, you think of Pluto, I know mm-hmm. House when I hear it. Mm-hmm. So why are these things not being referenced? And sort of it was, you know, I would never expect a band like Beatenberg to be a radical band. I would never even expect them to comment on race. Mm. But just the simple thing of going... Yeah, we're inspired by this band. Because also Beatenberg would, if they would just respect the the references that they have, it would be cool because it's yeah. not even like they're just taking this black sound in yeah. and making it its own thing. And I know I make these like similarities between them and Johnny Clegg and, yeah. and Mangrove, but that's not actually what's going on. Yeah. They're a very indie kind of group that just manages to borrow from reggae mm, sometimes mm. from all those things so all you had to do a UB40 you know yeah. yeah all you had to do is just inform yourself maybe they're not informed maybe Paul Simon is as far as they go <laughs> <laughs> and they don't actually know anything other than Ray Piri and the Maudela Queens mm-hmm. um, or Stimela or Stimela you mm-hmm. know but it's you just have to do that work yep that's um, that's pretty I'm on the same page that's that's all I ever asked for but then I look at some of the musicians that I love, you know, just not even South Africa, because I don't think it's a great example of white South African musicians like that who do pop music that are black. But um, Jamiroquai. Jamiroquai is the highest selling funk band of all time. Mm-hmm. And I know that can only happen where bands like, you know, Parliament Funkadelic and yeah. Sly and Family Stone and the higher players get overlooked when your band has three or four white members. But I also know that Jamiroquai are influenced by the same music that I'm influenced by. And they name them and they reference yeah, them. Stevie yeah. Wonder, uh, Graham Central Station, you know, James Brown. And it, and, it, and, it, and it, it becomes a little bit of like a conflict with me as a black listener, you know. I'm, I'm not saying, def- I don't believe that Jamiroquai should be the highest selling funk band, definitely. It says something. But I also don't believe that what they do that is... They no, they have mistake. a reverence that, mm. you know, for black music. I mean, I, I read their liner notes and they would acknowledge the fact that they know that they're getting more play than some of the other bands. Even Eminem has... 100%. Um, Eminem, is the, Eminem is not the greatest rapper of all time. But he's even, like, acknowledged the fact that... You know, yeah, that the privilege that comes yeah. with being white. And that's, that's how, for me, that I would know that at the end of the day, yes, it's, it's always going to be cultural appropriation. I guess for me, I prefer to find some musicians who, who acknowledge black music the same way that I acknowledge it. Not in South Africa. Well, yeah, that's the that's the tough part. I, there hasn't been a great example, especially yeah. from the ones that have been popular. Yeah, I think it's because like, and this is why for me, I know I keep going back to the rainbow, but it's impossible to have this conversation because South Africa has a serious culture of apartheid legacy denialism yep like we are rooted in saying apartheid is over yeah. all this all this all that Non-racial so you can't that. even imagine yourself having these conversations about you know what what kind of music is being made across racial lines what are mm. the implications on race mm-hmm. because everybody's so hell-bent on celebrating a costa stitch you know <laughs> yep dancing doobie doo yep. i mean doobie doo was a bop but sort of like I hate supposed to race yeah. I like that song yeah. but just sort of what it comes to embody yeah. is like rainbow nation in the flesh yeah colorblind yeah yeah I mean that's the the thing about me then with these post-democratic artists and that rubs me a little bit weirdly like I said I'm not giving Johnny Clegg and them passes but like at least like there was something there was a backdrop to what was happening in their time right now we have the backdrop of what you're talking about, what you just explained, you know, the whole idea of race is being transcended and, like, there's no such thing as racism. We've we've moved past that. And these artists are moving in these circles and it's like there's no acknowledgement of the fact that race is still a very concrete thing and apartheid is still pretty much alive and you get to be a white musician who do these things and get away with it and bank off it and you kind of don't even acknowledge your roots. Um... I guess that's 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 where I'm not so mad at the older generation for loving mm. PJ Powers and mm. and and on all of them. Look, our po- our politics are different, exactly, yeah. and our politics are different. Uh, like you know, I'm not really looking at them as the you know greatest musicians, but 
um, I know that there was like that context that they had to work against. Yeah. Whereas the context that we're working within right now is like, I mean, it's, 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 it's just jacking, you know. It's what even is the purpose? And it's like, <laughs> even looking at the artwork, having them do what they do, and then next thing they're performing in Israel. <laughs> and it's like, so you can't even pretend to be like... It's pretty fucked up that Black Coffee is no better than the artwork, though. <laughs> Take that out, <laughs> But yeah. yeah. Um, to quote the late Toni Morrison, racism is a distraction. Yeah. And... I yeah. believe that what they do is fine. I'm I'm not invested in it at all. And the market who's interested in that, keep that, you know. I, I keep Biggie as well, you know. I don't even think Biggie's as bad as the Unfoot, but you can keep him as well. But it's also, it's not like Biggie, I mean, Biggie had a hit song, but I don't know how that translated materially into something that black people do not have. You look at Costa, mm -hmm. that was a hit song, but he hasn't had like an enduring career. No. Maybe he has to come up with another nigger bop. It's not that, but I guess it's the, what I saw with, like if you go back to Biggie, the examples that were made is that, okay, well we have Afrikaans rappers like Just Finger and Earl B, um, who have been grinding Got for it. years in the Got industry. And it. Biggie has to do a parody, you know? It's not even, it can't even be described it. as a song. And like you playing Rockin' the Daisies. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very, very, very great example of what it means to be white in South Africa and the places that you can go just by taking a little bit. I mean, Biedenberg as well. What do you think is the, um, the potential remedy for that? Like, what does mm. a perfect marriage of black and white art? I don't think we can get that in South Africa because we don't even have a perfect marriage of black and white people <laughs> as, a, as a society. Yeah, um, it can never happen. Basically, yeah. if I'm being very cynical about it, it 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 will never happen. But, um, well, like perfectly. But um, I guess just just reference the same way that you would. If it was, you know, a rock band, we would say that I was influenced by Led Zeppelin and the ACDC and, and you know, but like, I'm just saying, if you do black music, don't yeah. do it and act as if you're doing it in a vacuum. Mm. You know where it comes from, especially with a country that has the conditions that it does. Yeah. It's, I, I'm not gonna like pat you on the shoulders because you reference, I'm not yeah. gonna praise you. But That's the least that you could do in my opinion. For me not to look at you as something to, you know, completely look at with contempt. You know who we didn't mention in this whole entire thing, speaking of R&B, Danny Gay. <laughs> that was like our Rainbow Nation king. Oh man, oh man. Yeah, him and that was um, like our him and Mendoza and had Mendoza, the streets hot for a minute. Yeah, you're right. What I is the, what is? It's interesting though because he recently, um, I give him respect. He was on some Twitter shit. Like he was like, "White people, you need to step up." Yeah, um, that was cute. You know, I but mean, he had an album coming out. Actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> all right, Ali Shum. <laughs> subscribe to our podcast on apple Podcasts. give us a five star rating would you i think we de deserve that we, we're doing pretty well and uh, follow us on spotify as well and as well as soundcloud if you're still on that and uh, we're also on facebook instagram and twitter at the deep cut pod yeah see you soon i had a tagline that i used for the first episode and i forgot it no you didn't i did peace and love always how y'all feel? Sisters, <laughs> y'all, right? <laughs> that's it, that's it. <laughs>